Well, this is the fifth sermon in our Acts series. And uh, I said in the very first sermon that the book of Acts plays out like one big adventure story. And I think we're going to really see that clearly this morning in our passage, Acts chapter 13, 1 through 12. If you have your print Bible or you like to follow along on the Bible on your phone, please uh, use those. Every adventure story has the good characters and the bad ones. The good guys are pretty easy to spot in our passage. We have the Apostle Paul. We have Barnabas, the encourager. And we have John Mark, the young assistant that went along to help. The bad guy in our passage today turns out to be a guy named Bar-Jesus, who is Jewish in his identity, but in his religious practices, he is a follower of the occult. He is practicing black magic. He's using the power of Satan and his demonic forces. For the apostles in the early church, this kind of spiritual warfare wasn't unexpected. Jesus had warned them. He said, when you go out, you will encounter opposition. And if you think back to Jesus' ministry, those three and a half years of public ministry, Jesus constantly came up against the forces of evil and darkness. People were enslaved to demonic forces, and Jesus cast them out. He freed people. And that was a beautiful sign of the kingdom of God, beginning and advancing and taking back ground from the ruler of this world. So, those early disciples, as the church begins, as this is kind of the first recorded missions trip in all of history, why would it be any different for the followers of the people that make up the church? And ultimately, why would it be any different for you and I today? And the honest answer, it isn't. I want to tell you this morning a story from Rod and Donna Black. Rod and Donna are missionaries, uh, our church supports. Uh, we've actually supported them since the late 1980s, and they took their young family, not all their kids were even born yet, and they went to Pakistan and uh, served for many, many years there. The kids grew up there, kids were born there, and uh, they're just amazing people. Uh, Rod actually was by our house two weeks ago. And we got to have them over for dessert and just had an amazing time, Lori and I, with Rod. Uh, They are just lovely, lovely people. And so after many years in Pakistan, they came back to Canada. And our fellowship, uh, our denomination that we're a part of, gave them a new role. And they said, you've been missionaries on the field for a long time. Now we want you to help train new missionaries. And so that's what they get to do. And they do a phenomenal job of it. So I wrote Rod this week, and I said, I'm speaking on Acts chapter 13, I want a story about spiritual warfare. And he said, no problem, I got more than one for you. But he says, here's one of my favorites. And so there was a Pakistani woman by the name of Risa, and uh, Sindh is kind of one of the provinces of Pakistan, and that's where they were specifically serving. And this woman, Risa, would inexplicably go into a fit and she would throw herself on the ground scream roll around yell kick just go crazy her family had tried taking her to the doctors many many times no doctor was able to help her and then finally this family came to faith in Jesus Christ and Rod said it was so beautiful none of the members of this family could read 
They were totally illiterate, but they would come every single week and spend hours with the missionaries, they and a whole bunch of other families, and they would verbally tell them the Bible. They would walk them through the life of Jesus, the parables, the teachings, everything that Jesus did. And so one of these brand new converts remembered the story of Jesus casting out the demons from a man. So he said, family, we should do what the Bible says. So they all gathered around Risa and they prayed for her. And Risa's struggles got really, really violent. Then one of them piped up and said, remember the other story they told us that Jesus had asked what the demon's name was and how many demons there were. So they just did exactly what they had learned. They asked this of Risa, and she responded, there are many of us, and gave all these demonic names. So the little group told the demons that in Jesus' name, come out of Risa. And that's exactly what they did. Risa stopped struggling. She became calm and quiet. She had a smile on her face. She was able to eat something. And here's what Rod writes. He says, and we, and the funny thing is, we as the missionaries were the astonished ones when they told us this story. This new group of believers couldn't figure out why we were astonished. Isn't that what we're supposed to learn from the story? And then Rod said, hope this helps in your sermon. You know, he's right. The spiritual realm. Sometimes here in Canada, we don't get to see it as much. But it's real. And anytime the kingdom of God advances, why wouldn't the forces of darkness try to oppose it? All right, that sets the story for the first five verses in the book of Acts. This is where it begins, Acts 13. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. Pretty significant moment in church history. This is the first recorded missions trip. Remember at the beginning of the Acts series, we talked about the persecution that broke out in Jerusalem. People had to flee. They naturally began to kind of share their faith just because they were forced to. They moved to a new area, settled in a new space. God shoved these believers out. But this is a little bit different. This is the first time there's an intentional missions trip. An intentional setting aside of the Holy Spirit of these two gentlemen. Interesting, the list of church leaders in Antioch tells us there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, and Saul. And scholars feel that uh, some of those names, uh, Simeon called Niger, that term Niger was often associated with North Africa. 
So this is actually a pretty diverse group. You've got Paul, or Saul, who was raised Jewish, hardcore Jewish. You've got Gentile believers. You've got, you've got more white-skinned people. You've got Semitic, uh, Middle Eastern, and you've got someone from Africa. So right away, the very first tiniest seeds of the church are diversity. Amazing. Five leaders are all gifted, but the Holy Spirit specifically asks for Paul and Barnabas to be sent out. And this is a dramatic shift. This is where the Apostle Paul and that mission to the non-Jewish world really starts to take the lead. And where does God send them? Overseas, interestingly enough. And I looked it up. How far is it from Antioch? to the first point of Cyprus there where they landed. Turns out it's 283 miles. Not a massive, massive distance, but in the first century, that would have been a journey. And uh, it's the beginning of the pattern that's continued on for the last 2,000 years of church history. Whether it's halfway around the world or down the street, the command is the same. Go. Go and share the good news of the gospel. Go and share your faith. Now, the moment some of us hear that idea of sharing my faith, we just want to collapse and freak out and go, no, I can't do it, I can't do it, that's not me, I have no clue what to say, and I'm way too freaked out, and I might just pass out. <laughs> and they're like, what do you want me to do anyways, like go and knock on people's door on Saturday morning and annoy them? No, the Jehovah Witnesses have that part down, we'll leave that to them, they can do that, <laughs> that's, that's their deal. What really what sharing your faith in Canada in 2021 simply looks like is being authentic. It's building a relationship with someone, going for hikes, walks, grabbing a cup of coffee with them. Looks like having people over to your house for a bowl of soup. And as the conversation naturally goes that way, you simply be honest about your own walk with Christ. What does Jesus mean to you? Nothing weird, nothing pre-planned, nothing forced, just as the Holy Spirit of God leads and that's exactly what happens in our passage. We're going to see, as they began to travel through the island of Cyprus, that's what happened to Paul, Barnabas, the helper, John, Mark. They simply came on opportunities that God laid in front of them, and they took them. You know, I'm so thankful for the street, uh, McKinley Road, where our family lives. And uh, over the years, we've gotten to know different neighbors and uh, it's been a good thing getting to know our neighborhood. And about six years ago, a great couple lives kind of over across the street and up a house. They came to us and said, we've always had this dream to do like a block party, but we're really freaked out and we don't really know how to do it. So we think you're the people to do it and then we'll help you. <laughs> and we're like, wow, yeah, absolutely. We will totally do that. And it turned into, I think we've done four or five now uh, over the years. It's been really, really fun. Obviously, it wasn't possible during COVID. Uh, but it's been amazing. As I look back and I thought about it this week, the amount of conversations, the amount of friendships that have resulted out of doing those kind of block parties has just been awesome. Uh, one of the last ones we did, um, everyone had gathered. We were all ready to eat. And I, I've kind of instituted saying grace at these things and just saying, you know, we're just all thankful. We're going to give thanks to God. And our one neighbor looks at the other and goes, oh yeah, this is the part where Darren talks. <laughs> She's like, can we just eat already? <laughs> that was so funny. Loved it. Anyways, 
all I'm saying is doing what the apostles did, sharing your faith, is not this huge, long, complicated thing. It's just simply building relationships. All right, that all seems awesome. Acts is unfolding as an adventure story. But all of a sudden, doubt jumps into our minds. Wait a second. Is the book of Acts actually legitimate history? Is this real places? Can you verify historically the details of this account? Good question. We're going to examine that in our next account. We're going to pick it up in verse 6 and 7. They traveled throughout the whole island until they came to Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. So our second point is simply entitled, Is Acts Legit History? And a good question to always ask ourselves when we are reading the Bible is, is this true? How do I know it's true? And the first and best answer is, live it. Just read it and do what it says. Test it out for yourself. You will not be disappointed. It proves itself true. A secondary good answer is to ask if the people and the places and the events can be referred to outside the Bible, in archaeology or in ancient sources. So we have some people and some places here. We have a harbor named Paphos. We have a proconsul named Sergius Paulus. And it describes him as an intelligent man. So, first question that props into our mind, what's a proconsul? Well, it turns out in the Roman structure of doing things, if Caesar or the military conquered a place and they set up a local ruler, they would call them a prefect. But if the Senate in Rome appointed a, a local leader, they would call it a proconsul. And that's who Sergius Paulus is. So Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark, the helper, traveled to Cyprus. And scholars know it was right around the mid-50s of the first century AD. Is there any archaeological inscriptions mentioning a Sergius Paulus as proconsul? Turns out there is. There it is. It's really hard to see. That was the best picture we could find. But apparently it's in the museum on Cyprus. So when all of you go there for a holiday, check it out. Um, and it was found in 1877. It's called the Soloi uh, description. And it mentions the proconsul Paulus by name. And uh, it is currently housed in the Cyprus Museum. This is what it says. Apollonius to his father consecrated this enclosure and monument according to the family's wishes, having to his family filled the offices of clerk uh, of the market, prefect, town clerk, high priest, and having been in charge as manager of the records office. That was one busy guy. Erected on the 25th of the month, oh, this is a hard one, Demarcius in the 13th year of the reign of Claudius, 54 A.D., perfect time. He also altered the Senate by means of assessors during the time of proconsul Paulus. There it is, chiseled in stone. 
looks like at Luke, as a careful researcher and writer of the book of Acts, got his facts straight. Now, I wanted to take a minute and just do that this morning because I really want to cement in our brains as we travel through the book of Acts. These are real places, real people, real events. You can go to Cyprus, check it out for yourself. And you know, I thought over the time I've been a pastor, I have all the time in the world for someone who truly is seeking, someone who truly wants to know, okay, is this whole Jesus thing, is this Christian thing legit? I have all the time in the world for that. You know what frustrates me? Is the super, super, super lazy person who can't be bothered to check it out. That just kills me. So here's a uh, picture of the modern harbor of Paphos. Uh, of course, it's changed since the first century, but still you can clearly see why they made it a harbor. What a natural, beautiful harbor. Amazing. And then the very first place they landed was at Salamis, Look at that Roman amphitheater, amazingly preserved. And you get to go in and stand there and look at it today. All right. That brings us to our third and final point, spiritual warfare face-to-face. Acts 13, 8 through 12. Now, it's a fascinating dynamic going on here. The Holy Spirit of God is drawing this Roman proconsul, Sergius Paulus, drawing him to Jesus. At the exact same time, Satan and his evil spirits are controlling the proconsul's assistant, this guy named Bar-Jesus. The moment the gospel begins to spread through Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark on that first missions trip, right away the opposition comes. The good news is, of course, that in spiritual warfare, this is not a 50-50 battle. It's not going to see... Who's going to win? The outcome is already guaranteed. The forces of darkness don't stand a chance. So this Bar-Jesus, the sorcerer, is an attendant of Sergius Paulus, the proconsul. Struck me this week as I was studying this passage, there's a lot of irony here and some play on words. So Bar-Jesus, the name literally in Aramaic means son of Joshua. And the name Joshua means the Lord saves. Now you know why God told Mary his name will be Jesus, the Lord saves. So Bar simply means son of. So this guy is son of the Lord saves. Now the play on words is found in verse 10. The apostle Paul confronts this guy and in the power of the Holy Spirit says, you are a son of the devil. So he's playing off the guy's name. Full of every sort of deceit and fraud, the enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? So the guy's family name is Bar-Jesus, son of the Lord saves, but ironically, his true identity is son of the devil, the one trying to stop the Lord from saving this Roman proconsul. And when I hear the word ironic, when I was thinking about ironic all week, it always makes me think of Alanis Morissette, the Canadian musician who hit it big in the 90s with her album Jagged Little Pills, and the most famous song was Ironic. So I figured we need to hear it this morning. And it's kind of a cute video, so let's hear Alanis. I know. 
That's going to be stuck in your head all day. You're welcome. It is ironic. Bar Jesus, this attendant, at his slimy best, tries to keep this Roman proconsul, this leader, away from the truth. If you watch the Lord of the Rings movies, the second one, The Two Towers, there's exactly the same character, Wormtongue, and he's trying to mislead Theoden the king. The character Bar-Jesus kind of seems like the prototype of that guy. Maybe that's where Tolkien got the idea. I have no idea. But you'll know if you've watched the movies that ultimately evil is overcome. Wormtongue's bad advice doesn't get listened to. And it's the same in our passage today. It says in verse 8, But Elimas the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from faith. He's whispering in the ear of his ruler. This is spiritual warfare. And 2,000 years later, we are still in it, just like Risa and those brand new Christians in Pakistan. You heard it last Sunday in Caleb's amazing story. What a testimony of Jesus winning a person back to himself. Caleb was so honest and, and open and talked about the time that he ran away from God, that alcohol and drugs had an addiction on him. He even declared that God was dead. But he hit the wall. It was empty. It was not satisfying. And God reached out to him. It's interesting how the enemy is always trying to tell us the lies, isn't he? He's trying to whisper in our ears. But the Holy Spirit of God is far more powerful. John Calvin, one of the great Christian scholars to have ever lived, absolute giant in Christian history, he comments on these specific verses. This is what he says. For although sorcerers are not present always and everywhere to cause us trouble, Satan brings many allurements which take possession of our minds to the exclusion of Christ. Both the attractions of the world, the perverse passions of our flesh, are just so many enchantments with which Satan does not cease to subvert the faith. Calvin's right. There isn't wizards and sorcerers on every corner. There wasn't in uh, Switzerland and where he lived in the 16th century and there aren't today. But that doesn't mean the devil's any less active. He's more sneaky. He tries to find things that will distract us from what God wants. And we have ultimately a choice. Who are we going to listen to? The Holy Spirit of God or the whispers of the enemy? Here's the explosive climax of the scene, verses 9 through 12. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimas, or Bar-Jesus, and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him. 
and he groped about seeing someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. What Satan intended for bad, God turned and used for good. It brought this man to faith. That is the first Roman governor or official in recorded church history to accept the Christian faith. But he wouldn't be the last. There were thousands and thousands leading all the way up to 312 AD when the Roman emperor, Constantine, officially converted to faith. An amazing chain and God started it all on this little island of Cyprus. So who are we listening to? The subtle whispers and lies of the enemy or the strong, clear call of the Holy Spirit of God? That clear call urges us to make Jesus Christ our Savior, but also our Lord each and every day. You know what? The Christian life is a hard deal to do by yourself. I think that occurred to everyone during COVID. Wow, I'm at home by myself on the couch. This is kind of difficult. It's a hard way to proceed being a Lone Ranger. Instead, we need each other. And one of the beautiful ways that a church works together is praying for each other. Eileen Dillon, our wonderful prayer warrior in our church, she's had a knee operation, she's at home. I got to visit with her this week. And we just, what did we talk about the entire time? Things that Eileen had prayed for and God had answered. And we both left so happy, so encouraged. And I just gave her a hug and I said, Eileen, thank you for praying. It's one of the amazing things about a church. When our prayers combine, God does incredible things. So my simple recommendation to all of us this morning is to do exactly what Sergius Paulus did. Shut out the lies of the deceiver, that little voice whispering in our ears, and embrace Jesus each and every day, no matter the cost. Well, the first missions trip in history was certainly an epic one, an eventful one. And we got to peer over the shoulders today of Paul, of Barnabas, Sergius Paulus, the Roman proconsul coming to faith. Can you feel the book of Acts start to get its way into your heart to inspire and grip you? This is so helpful for us as a church because it reminds us, church, that we are part of an ongoing story. This is the same big adventure story from the book of Acts to today. Amen. Carmen, please come and pray for us.